Amen. Bless the Lord. Hey, as you remain standing here this morning, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles with us to the book of John. John chapter number 14. We're going to begin at verse 15. The young people, the students, you did a wonderful job here today. Just give them your thanks. Amen. Great job. Bless the Lord. And uh, just looking forward to sharing with you what the Lord's put on my heart. John 14, beginning with verse 15. Uh, Let me just set this up. It is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. He is in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover feast. He is hours away from being crucified. And it is on this occasion that Jesus is going to speak more about the Holy Spirit than at any other time during his earthly ministry. In fact, John 14, 15, and 16 is the conversation that he had in the upper room, and almost all of it is concerning the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying to them, listen, in a short time, I'm departing. But it's to your advantage that I depart, because once I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus is basically saying to them, listen, I've shared with you everything that I can share with you. I've given you everything that I can give you. But what you need now is power that only comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, folks, you can't study your way into the kingdom of God. You have got to be born into the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus said. I've given you everything I can give you. I've I've told you everything I can possibly tell you. But now you need power from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he says. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word another is important because the Greeks had two words for another. There was another of a different kind or a substitute, but there was another of the same kind. That's the word Jesus used here. He said, when I leave, I'm sending you another one that's just like me because he and I are one. My spirit and I are one. That's what he's saying. Another helper that he may abide with you, say this word with me, forever. Forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's referring to himself. I've been dwelling with you, but now he's going to be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This morning, for a few moments, I'd like to share with you a very simple message entitled, Welcoming the Holy Spirit. Father, would you just guide us over these next few moments together? And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're welcome in our lives. You're welcome in this service. Lord, let nothing hinder you this morning, but may we just open wide our hearts and allow you to speak as you desire in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord praise in this house one more time here this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. Give God the praise in this house this morning. Amen. Before you're seated, you know what to do. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you love him. In Jesus' name, bless the Lord. Hey, some of you know that Kathy's dad, or excuse me, Kathy's mom uh, passed away before I even met Kathy, some 36 years ago. Uh, I never met my mother-in-law, and I I missed that opportunity. 
but when Kathy's dad passed away a little over 10 years ago, I still remember leaving the church that, uh, that evening after the funeral was over and after the reception had finished. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, I'm an orphan. And as soon as she said that, the Holy Spirit reminded me of our text. And I said, Kathy, you are never an orphan because he has come to you. In fact, he dwells in you by his Holy Spirit. You are never alone. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You are not an orphan. How many of you are thankful that as believers, that's the assurance that we carry in our heart? Amen. That that the Holy Spirit has come to us and will abide with us forever in Jesus' name. He has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to always keep that straight in your mind. The Holy Spirit is not power. The Holy Spirit is not energy. The Holy Spirit is not a force. I was talking to a pastor this week who said that he likes to use the force in Star Wars as an illustration of the Holy Spirit. And I said, just hold it right there, buddy. I said, now you're messing with the Holy Spirit of God. He is not a force. He's not an energy. He's not a power. He is a person. He is God dwelling not just with us. He is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us for the glory and the honor of His name. He is our helper. He is our comforter. He is the one who comes alongside us. And Jesus said, He will abide with us forever. Think about that. You will never cease being the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to abide in believers for all of eternity. So we are already fellowshipping with the Spirit and will continue to fellowship with the Spirit forever because forever we will be the temple of the Spirit of the living God Almighty. There'll never be a time when the Spirit departs from you. For all of eternity, He will dwell inside of you. And for that, we need to give Him praise here for a moment. In Jesus' name, would you give Him thanks for that? Now, listen, I know that this never happens in your home. And I know that it never happened in your home when your children were growing up. But I've got to confess to you today, they say confession is good for the soul, that it always happened when Josh and Amanda were growing up. It always happened in our home. I know it never happened in your home. I know it never happens in your home because you're great parents, but I blew it. And so it happened all the time in my home. And that is that Josh and or Amanda would come to me and they would say, Dad, can we have this? Dad, can we go there? Dad, can we eat this? Dad, can we buy this? And I would say yes only to discover that they had already gone to their mother who had said no. Sometimes it would happen the other way, but I know that never happened to anybody else here today. Okay. It's funny, you know, the wiser that you get, the first question you should ask is, well, what did your mother say? What did your father say? And then when you get really wise, you say, what, go ask your mother, go ask your father, whatever they say will do. Um, but what is it about kids that they love pitting their parents against each other. They love pitting dad against mom, mom against dad. They don't like what one says, so they go to the other, hoping that they can get an argument so that ultimately they can get exactly what they want. 
All of us have experienced that in our lives. But isn't it interesting that when it comes to the work and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there are many professing Christians that pit God against His Word. That they are so uncomfortable with the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that they actually, like a child, try to pit God against His Word, His Word against God. Because there are many professing believers here today and around this world that are uncomfortable with the ministry of the Holy Spirit and some that resist the Holy Spirit by throwing all of their eggs, if you will, into the Bible basket. And these are the men and women who say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I got the Holy Spirit when I was saved, but I don't need to develop any intimacy with the Spirit. I don't need to pray to the Spirit. I don't need to yield myself to the Spirit because I have the Bible to lead me and direct me. I don't need anything or anyone else. I can get all I need from the Word of God, to which I would then ask, Well, what do you do with the scriptures that always defer you back to the Spirit? What do you do with all of the scriptures that refer you back to the leadership of the Spirit of God in your heart and your life? What happens when you go to your Bible and it's always redirecting you to the leadership of the Spirit of the living God? Even Jesus said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know, there are some people that they would be comfortable if they could take all of the scriptures that refer to the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit and the life of a believer out of the Word of God. But did you ever consider that if you and I were to take out all of the scriptures that dealt with the Holy Spirit in our lives, you would have a shell of your Bible left? The Holy Spirit is all through the Word of God. He shows up in the second verse in the Bible as the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. And did you know that He shows up in the last chapter in the Bible? Revelation chapter 22 where the Spirit and the bride say, Come, Lord Jesus. And literally, from Genesis to Revelation, everywhere you turn, you see God moving through the Holy Spirit in the lives of men and women. So no matter how uncomfortable it makes you, you have to realize that the Holy Spirit plays an integral role in the life of the believer, and you cannot ignore the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. In Jesus' mighty name. Can I hear a better amen than that here today? You know, again, it it amazes me, the people that are uncomfortable. I was thinking about it the other day. The people that through the years have left. I I think of one man, this happened probably 11 or 12 years ago now. They they came into my office one morning and, and they said, Pastor, I wanted you to hear it from me. My wife and I are leaving the church and you need to know it's not because of anything you've done. We love Bethel, we love you, we love the church here, we love the fellowship. But listen to what they said. They said, the older that we get, my wife and I realize that we are becoming less Pentecostal. Now, I wonder if he really thought about what he's saying, because what he was saying is, the older we're getting, the less we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know what's really sad is that a couple of years ago, I actually hooked up with that individual, and we went out to lunch together, and within the course of our two-hour conversation, it became apparent that he no longer needed the Holy Spirit. 
that literally his language had changed, everything about him had changed, and you could recognize that there was now no longer any intimacy with the Spirit of God, nothing that would even remotely suggest that he had been in the presence of the Lord, though he regularly attends church. Not here, but somewhere else. I think of another individual that has had kind of a love-hate relationship with Bethel through the years. They will come for a while, and then they'll leave for a while. They'll come for a few months, and then leave for a few months, and come for a year, and leave for a year. They never became a partner, so I never really knew why they would be in and out all the time. And one time, they actually divulged it to someone in the church, and they came and told me what was going on, and that is that every time I started talking about the Holy Spirit, they became uncomfortable. Because they didn't agree with what I was saying and so they got offended and they just would leave. So they were comfortable in Bethel as long as we never talked about the Holy Spirit. But once we started to talk about the Spirit, they were gone because they just could not handle it. You know, I've been in this for so long that now I know you can't begin a discussion with the Holy Spirit without the waters getting choppy really quickly. I know that that's hard because not all of us come from the same faith tradition. Not all of us come from the same church. Some of us came from churches that abused the Holy Spirit and you become so hardened that now you're not open to the Spirit at all. Some of you have gone to churches where you never heard anything about the Holy Spirit. Some of you came from churches where whenever you did hear the Holy Spirit, it was just a passing thought. Some of you have heard about the Holy Spirit and you were told, listen, don't go to one of those churches that talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, which we would be one of those churches. But you were told not to go to any of those churches because they get wild and if the chandeliers are low enough, they'll start swinging on them, you know, everything like that. And so some of you, you know, you have those images. So as soon as I start talking about the Holy Spirit, your defenses go up because you're afraid that you're going to get into something that's crazy and that's something that is wild and, and it has no restraint and no control whatsoever. Some of you may remember, but last year I was invited to speak at a Methodist camp meeting a whole week. And three of those meetings during that week, I spoke on the Holy Spirit very openly about the Spirit of God. And I'll never forget this one night I finished speaking about the Holy Spirit and I came off the platform and there was an elderly gentleman there, probably 76, 77, 78 years old, somewhere in there. And I had just met him that morning and he came to me and his tears are just streaking down his cheeks and I said, you know, what is going on? And he said, you are a first. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I was raised in the Methodist church. I've been in the Methodist church all my life. Now, listen, that's not indicative to all Methodist church. I'm not slamming Methodism, okay? This was his personal experience. But he said, I was raised in the Methodist church. I've gone to the Methodist church all of my life. I have never heard a sermon on the Holy Spirit. He said, now I've heard about the Holy Spirit, but I was never told I could have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I was never told that I could pray to the Holy Spirit and that He would guide me. Now, on one hand, I was thankful that I had been able to introduce Him to the Spirit, but at the same time, I was so grieved in my heart because here is a man that has spent 77 years of his life trying to live out his faith without even knowing the necessity of the Spirit of the living God in their heart and in their life in Jesus' name. So folks, whether we're comfortable with it or not, we need to allow the Spirit of God not only to operate in the service, but more importantly to operate in our own hearts and in our lives. 
You know, I understand. Listen, I have been in Pentecost all of my life. This is all I've ever known. And when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit and His ministry in our lives, it can be wonderful and it can be weird at the same time. It can be supernatural, but it can be super strange at the same time. I know that there's a mystery that, that surrounds the Holy Spirit, but just because we're a little uncomfortable with it does not mean that we dismiss it from our hearts and our lives. You know, if we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to move in a corporate meeting like we have here this morning, you're always going to run the risk of someone doing something that is out of order or saying something that is out of order. But I've always contended that that is no reason to throw out the experience completely. There are some people that are so afraid that things are going to get out of control that they just say, we're not going to allow any time for the Spirit of God to move in our hearts and our lives. But that is not the posture that we should be taking. That's why I'm here. I'm here every Sunday to make sure that everything is done decently and in order. It is my responsibility to monitor everything and to make sure that what is being done glorifies God and in no way brings reproach upon Him. And some of you are newer to Bethel and you've never seen me in action, but there are many of you that know I have no problem calling out something that I believe is not of God. Because I'm not going to let... The honor and the dignity of Christ be run through the mud because there's someone that got over-emotional. It's my responsibility to make sure it's done decently in order, but it's my responsibility to make sure that we take off all of the chains and we allow the Spirit of the Lord to move among us as He wants to in Jesus' name. But can I tell you that even more important than allowing the Spirit to move in this service is more important for you to allow the Spirit of God to move in your own heart and life. If you went to a church that never allowed the Spirit of God to move in the service, it doesn't matter. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's more important that you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in this church. He dwells in you. And He came to be in you and for you know, you to sense his presence. He came to walk through life with you, to guide you into all truth, to show you things to come, to lead you and to direct you throughout your days in Jesus' name. So you need to know that more important to me than anything else after your salvation is that you have a close encounter with the Spirit of the living God Almighty that revolutionizes your life and that every day you are fostering a relationship with the Spirit of the living God. So here's what I want to do in our balance of time here today. I want to walk you through three ways that we, if we're not careful, can pit God against His Word when it comes to the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Three ways where we try many times to pit God against his word with regards to the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Follow me on this. First is in our obedience to the Holy Spirit. There are people that realize that they have to obey the word of God, but they have never considered the necessity of obeying the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know that we need to obey the Word of God. It is the Word of God that is showing us the will of God for our hearts and our lives. But what about obeying the prompting of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time that you ever heard that you need to be obedient to what the Spirit of the Lord lays upon your heart? 
Now, before I go too far in that, let me just back up a little bit and just say this. Can you imagine trying to live out your Christian faith without the Word of God? I mean, it would be impossible to live out your faith without the Word of God. How else would we understand salvation? How else would we understand what it means to walk in righteousness? What el- how else would we ever know what grieves the heart of God, what honors the heart of God? How many of you are thankful for the Bible that still speaks to us today in Jesus' name? David said it this way, the word of God is a lamp unto our feet, it is a light unto our path. And as I said to you last week, it is the only authoritative word of the living God. It is superior to any other mode of communication. And what that means is, even though I do not believe that the Bible is the only way that God can communicate with us, I do believe that the Bible is the primary way that God communicates, and it is superior to all other modes of communication. So that means that no matter what I feel when I'm praying or what I sense, if what I feel or what I sense contradicts the word of God, I dismiss my feelings and I hold fast to the word of the living God. It means that no matter how much I respect you and your ability to hear the word of God, I, if it ever contradicts what the word of God says, have to dismiss your word and stick with the word of the living God Almighty. It is the truth. Truth, and it is the truth that sets us free in Jesus' mighty name. Okay? So we understand that. But again, I ask you, what do you do when the Scripture keeps pointing you back to the Holy Spirit? What do you do with all the Scriptures that talk about those who are led by the Spirit of God will not fulfill the lusts of their flesh? You know, Jesus himself, in our text, if you remember it, he said that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And that he guides us into all truth. So if the Holy Spirit is prompting me truly, then to disobey him would to be disobeying the truth that he is bringing to my heart and my life. You know, in the first letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says this. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Now listen to this part. But especially that you may prophesy. And why would he say that? Why would he say that I want you to pursue love, but I also want you to desire spiritual gifts, but I want you to desire even more prophecy. Verse 3 says, because he who prophesies speaks edification, or that which builds us up, exhortation, that which challenges us, and comfort to men. Now please note here, that Paul is talking to all of the Christians in that church in Corinth. He's not speaking to just a select few. He's actually speaking to the whole church. And he says, listen, as you pursue life, I want you to pursue first and foremost love, love for God and then love for your fellow man. But I also want you to desire spiritual gifts, but especially I want you to desire prophecy. So literally, in Paul's mind, every believer has the opportunity to operate in the prophetic. Can I hear a better amen than that? Because again, he's not talking to pastors. He's talking to the whole church. He says, I want you to pursue love, but I want you to desire gifts, especially prophecy. And so what he's saying is, I want you to know you can live with a prophetic edge in your life. 
Because when you prophesy, you build each other up, you exhort or challenge one another, and you even comfort one another when you're going through the trials of life in Jesus' name. Now, you know what's really interesting is that there are some out there that attack this immediately, and they'll say, well, when he says prophesy there, he's not really talking about prophecy. He's talking about preaching, or he's talking about just being encouragement to one another. It's amazing to me that when we come to scriptures that we're uncomfortable with, we immediately try to minimize them. We try to downplay it. We try to just get the focus off it immediately and just dismiss it completely instead of just allowing the Lord to lead us and direct us in what he is saying here. And please just stay with me through this. The other day I was listening to a man who is a cessationist, okay? And a cessationist is a Christian, and I believe he's a Christian. That's not an argument. But he believes that all of the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, that they were for Paul's day, but when the last apostle died, all of those gifts just disappeared. They ceased, and we don't use them anymore. Isn't that crazy? I mean, are we not still fighting the same enemy that they were fighting 2,000 years ago? Isn't it just crazy to just sew it up and say it's, it's not for today? So I was listening to this one guy, and this is what he said, and I kid you not, I kid you not. He said, I believe in the gift of healing today. But he said, the gift of healing is that there are some people who are just natural encouragers. And so when you're sick, they can come and visit you and spend about an hour with you talking, encouraging you. And when you leave, they feel better. You can't make this stuff up. Like, can you imagine that that is what he thought the gift of healing was? Can you imagine Jesus going to a demon-possessed individual and say, you know, I'm just going to sit here with you for about an hour and encourage you so you feel better about being possessed by the devil, you know? I mean, can you imagine John and Peter going to that lame man at the gate beautiful and who's never walked and they say to him, you know, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, we want you to be encouraged in your lameness and we're going to give you just some words of encouragement so you feel better. You know, it's just terrible how we do that to the Word of God. And we do that even with prophecy. We'll, we'll immediately downplay it and say, well, no, he's talking about preaching or he's talking about encouraging words. No, it is much more than that. And I think that the hang-up is prophecy because some of you are getting really quiet right now and you're thinking, what is he talking about? But it's because we think when prophecy is being spoken of that it's always talking about foretelling, like being predictive in its nature. Listen, that may be part of it, but much of prophecy is it's foretelling. It's talking about what's happening now. In fact, the word prophecy just means to declare a thing which can only be known by divine revelation. That's all it is. It's just declaring something that was given to you by divine revelation that you could have never possibly known had the Holy Spirit not shown it to you. And I believe that if you fellowship with the Spirit of God on a regular basis while you're praying, while you're seeking the Lord, there are times, it doesn't always happen and we can't force it, but there are times when the Holy Spirit will reveal something about your life, about the life of someone else, 
about some situation that you're in to protect you. I am thankful today that I can live with an edge in my life where I don't have to get caught off guard by everything that happens in life, but God can give me insight at his pleasure to know how to respond in Jesus' mighty name. Can somebody say amen to that? You know, again, you know, if you're not comfortable with that, you need to start reading the book of Acts. Because this is how the church operated for at least those first 30 years. In Acts 19 and verse 6, it says, When Paul had laid hands on them, them being the disciples in the city of Ephesus, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and evidence for that was that they spoke with tongues or with unknown languages, and they prophesied. Now, one of the great stories is in Acts 21. And in Acts 21, you have Paul on his way to the city of Jerusalem. And Paul already knows something's going to happen in Jerusalem. I don't know what it is. I know that the Spirit has told me that in every city there are chains and imprisonments that await me. But I I have a feeling that something is really going to go down in Jerusalem. But he doesn't know what it is. And on his way to Jerusalem, he stops at the house of a man named Philip. And listen to what the Bible says here. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt, Paul, and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, that is so awesome because the Holy Spirit had already prepared Paul. Something is going to go down in Jerusalem, but he didn't know the specifics. But on the way, he stops at Philip's house, and a prophet comes, and he prophesies, you are going to be arrested, not to dissuade him from going to Jerusalem, but to prepare him for that moment so that when it happened, he would not think it strange. Folks, I'm going to tell you, what God did then, he can do today. He can show you what is coming to prepare your heart for the glory and the honor of God. Come on, can I hear a better amen than that? How many of you know you're going to need some insight if you're going to make it in the days that we're living in, in Jesus' name? We've got to recognize this. You know, I said to you last week, and I want to reiterate it again here today, the Bible in general speaks in generalities. And don't misunderstand me, the Bible is specific on many, many things. But in general, the Bible speaks in generalities. It is revealing to us the general principles of God that guide you and I as believers in Jesus' name. But the Holy Spirit is with us now, real time. He knows what we're going through, and He has a way of taking those scriptures that are general and applying them to the specific moments of our life. The illustration that I gave you last week was that the Bible will clearly show you principles of the kind of man or woman that you should be marrying, but the Holy Spirit will tell you, Johnny, on the spot, who you should be marrying. Because on the surface, it may look like they're living for God, but the Holy Spirit knows their heart. And so while you're praying, the Holy Spirit says, I know what it looks like, but it ain't the truth. And you need to run as fast as you can right now. Don't return their call. Don't return their text. Run, run, run. How many of you are thankful? You don't have to mess up your life. You've got the Holy Spirit to guide you in Jesus' name. And I could go on for a long time with this, but let me just finish up this point with this story. 
I'll never forget years ago, I was counseling this individual, and they were really going through a hard time, and it had been already a month at least of counseling. It was a very tough situation, and I came to the end of myself, and there was no breakthrough. There was nothing, and, and I just came to the end of myself, and one morning, I got up, and I said, Lord, I don't know where to go in this. This is not working. Nothing is happening. I need wisdom. And as soon as I said that, the Holy Spirit brought to my heart where Jesus said, blessed are those who are merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And it was as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me through that scripture and said, they have always carried a judgmental and critical spirit, have shown no mercy, and still harbor unforgiveness in their heart. And that's why I can't show them mercy, because they have shown no mercy. And so from that point on, I changed my whole strategy, and I walked them through forgiveness and unforgiveness, and a glorious breakthrough took place in their life. Folks, listen to me. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. You can live with that prophetic edge in Jesus' name. How many of you think you might be a little more effective in life if you were led by the Spirit of the living God in Jesus' name? Amen? Praise God. All right. Second way that sometimes we pit God against His Word when it comes to the Holy Spirit is desiring the Holy Spirit. Desiring the Holy Spirit. You know, there are people that feel it's wrong to actually desire the Spirit. They think, well, no, I, I should be desiring the Father. I should be desiring, you know, the Son. But should I really hunger for the Holy Spirit? Oh, yes, you should. You know, it once was said this. I love it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in God. I love that. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in God. What does that mean? It means that there is nothing that brings greater honor and glory to God than when we as believers are satisfied in our walk with Him. So that when life is falling apart, when we've experienced great loss, when there is sorrow within, that there is still a peace and a comfort and a sustaining joy in the midst of the storm because He is our all in all. You know, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Literally, there is no greater way you give God the glory than when you can go through the most difficult seasons of life just rejoicing in your heart because everything is just icing on the cake, but I thank God that he will never leave me and he will never forsake me in Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that? Well, listen, that's not a theory. That's real. And it is realized in us through the Holy Spirit. Because the way that God speaks to us, the way that God comforts us, comforts us is through the Holy Spirit. Do you know that it's because of our intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we can abound in hope instead of despair? Romans 15 and verse 13 says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I am thankful today. You know, I, I mean, we all were happy with, you know, North Korea's decision to take that. But if you think that's going to last long, okay, 
I've got some property on the moon I'd love to sell you right after the service today. Listen, my hope is not in the governments of this world. It's not in what presidents and kings and dictators do. My hope is in the power of the Holy Spirit of God who can make a way where there's no other way, okay? Do you know that it's through our intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we can have overwhelming joy. Acts 13, 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I love this one. Because of our intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we can experience supernatural events. How many of you believe that we still serve a supernatural God? Amen? Three of you. How many of you believe that we serve a supernatural God? And how many of you believe that God could work in you supernaturally? We've got to start believing for these things in Jesus' name. I love this story. And I, I could quote many scriptures from the Bible. Let me just tell you this one, okay? This is in Acts chapter 9. And, and Paul, who at that time was Saul, persecuting Christians on his way to Damascus so that he can arrest more Christians and persecute them. But he has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. He reveals himself in such a brilliant light that he's blinded. They take him back to Damascus. And the Bible tells us that while that's happening, there is a man named Ananias who's just praying in the morning. When the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go down to Damascus to the house of Judas and inquire of a man named Saul because I am calling him to ministry and I want you to tell him the things that he must suffer for my name's sake. Told him everything. He gets up, he goes, and listen to what the Bible says. And when Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And the Bible says that when he laid his hands on him, the scales on his eyes fell off. He saw, filled with the Holy Spirit, starts preaching, and the hunter became the hunted for the glory glory and for the honor of Almighty God. Let me tell you something, folks. The Holy Spirit told Ananias where to go, who to speak to, and what to do when he got there. And I will tell you that if you will foster a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you where you need to be, what you need to be doing, who you need to be with. He'll show you how to live your life in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. It's because of our intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we can have boldness to witness. Acts 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. It is because of our intimacy with the Holy Spirit that we can experience intense worship and praise where the Holy Spirit speaks to us. In Acts 13, and verse 2, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. They were in a corporate meeting together, and as they worshiped God fervently, the Holy Spirit began to speak. He called them, and he sent them out, and I believe that God, what he did then, can do it today, that even while we're here today, God could put a call on someone's life, send them where he is sending them. We need the power of the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. But you've got to desire it. You've got to long for it. And some of you, you know, you feel like you're cheating on God, the Father, if you start saying, Holy Spirit, 
you're welcome. I said this in a class not too long ago. I just say, there's no power struggle in the Godhead, okay? There's no jealousy among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father's saying, well, I wish they'd spend more time with me. You know, like, the Father's not up there jealous of the Son or the Spirit. And the Son's not jealous of the Father or the Spirit. And the Spirit's not jealous of the Father and Jesus. He's not. They're not jealous. People say, should we pray to God? Or I told my father the other day, I'll pray to any one of them that are listening to me. I mean, that, <laughs> now they're all listening, but you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. They're three, but they are one. And I can pray to the Father. I can pray to the Son. I can pray to the Holy Spirit. All I know is, is that I hunger and thirst for a supernatural God to move in this natural world and glorify his name again in Jesus' name. Can you say amen to that? Bless God. And then finally, the third way that oftentimes we try to pit God against his word when it comes to the work of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is welcoming the Holy Spirit. We will, we will open our eye, arms and welcome God. But when was the last time that you just got alone with God and said, Holy Spirit, you're welcome. You know, there are many people that, that they'll say, well, I'm open to the Holy Spirit, but I'm guarded. I'm open to the Holy Spirit, but, but I don't want to do that. And I don't want to say that. And I don't want to go there. Without even thinking, you're putting restrictions upon Him. You're limiting God. And what you're saying, in essence, is, I'm open to you, Holy Spirit, so long as you come the way I'm comfortable with. As long as you come in the way that I'm comfortable with, then you can come. But if you come in a way that makes me look foolish or weird, then no, you're not coming here. Now listen, I know that there are some in the Pentecostal, the charismatic tradition, that have caused, have given cause to be skeptical. Because there's a lot of crazy things that have been done in the name of the Holy Spirit. Can we just admit that? I mean, listen, the, the Pentecostal faith has been littered with tragic stories of men and women who said the Holy Spirit was leading them and the Holy Spirit had nothing to do with it. We, we understand that. We know it, okay? I want to just say this. If that's your primary fear, you know, that y- you're, you're afraid that he's going to make you do something that makes you look foolish, listen. I don't believe that the Holy Spirit would ever do anything in you that made him look foolish. <laughs> like, the Lord's really not that concerned about your reputation because your reputation is not that great anyway, okay? <laughs> I'm just being honest, okay? He's not really that concerned about your reputation, but he is infinitely concerned about his reputation. And he will never do anything in you that makes him look foolish. He would never do anything in you that turns his work into a sideshow. He's not that way. Now, when the Holy Spirit comes, could he do some things that are different? That maybe are a little strange to you? That, that may be a little odd? Well, he is supernatural. <laughs> 
Okay, he is above nature, okay? So I'm not going to tell you that what he might require of you, what he might do in you, is not going to seem a little foolish to the world. I'm not going to tell you that. But I will tell you that everything that he does in your life will serve a greater purpose than you could ever begin to imagine in Jesus' mighty name. And you've got to ask yourself, what is more important to me? Me or God working through my heart and through my life in Jesus' name. You know, yeah, like either clap or don't. Like this, let's just give the Lord praise here this morning for that. God wants to move in our lives in a special way. Listen, Ephesians 4 verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 tells us not to quench the Holy Spirit. In Acts 7 and verse 51 Stephen, about to be stoned, says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Listen, we can quench him. We can grieve him and we can resist him because we're not comfortable with what he asks of us. Listen, which is more important to you, your pride or his power? Which is more important to you, your reputation or developing such an intimacy with the Holy Spirit that within that intimacy you find all of the strength to not only know what God requires of you, but to do it in Jesus' name. You know, I wasn't intending on saying this, but, but yesterday when I was just going over my notes and praying over them, I just felt to say this. A lot of times... We will just pray, Lord, you need to move in this situation. Lord, I need you to move in my marriage. I need you to move in my family. I need you to move at my workplace. I need you to move on my college campus. I need you to move in my high school. I need you to move in my grade school, whatever it may be. We're just praying. And in our minds, we're thinking that God is just going to come down and all of a sudden do something. Did you ever think that maybe God's in heaven waiting for you to do something? Because from Genesis to Revelation, God doesn't just move. Sometimes he does, there's no doubt. But more often than not, he moves through the people that he put in those situations. And so while you're praying for God to do something, you yourself are being lazy. What he wants you to do is get alone with God, pray, and let him show you what to do, what to say, who to go to, so that when you move forward, it's not you, but it is God working through you to change that situation around in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, somebody say amen. You know, you're praying for your marriage all the time, and God's saying, no, get lost with me and be the husband or the wife you're supposed to be. And let me heal through that relationship in Jesus' name. You keep praying for your kids that they'll stop being rebellious, but I want you to pray and ask for greater strength to love them and not grieve their spirit. We can't always just say, God, you do the work. God says, I will do the work, but I do it through you. By my spirit, in Jesus' mighty name. Can we say amen to that today? We need to welcome the spirit of God like never before. I, you know, as the, as the band comes, I just want to say, I want to give you this. Luke 11, verse 11. This is Jesus speaking again. He says, listen, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, 
will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Wow. I love that. Because what he's saying is, listen, you are just natural fathers and mothers. And and you tend to be very selfish. But even you would not give a serpent to your child when they ask for a fish. You would never give them a scorpion when they ask for an egg. It's just ridiculous. He says, if you, being natural mothers and fathers, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more is the most loving, benevolent being in the universe willing to give the Holy Spirit to anyone who just asks Him? And the point that he's making here is not only the benevolent heart of the Lord, but that He would never give you anything that would be harmful or destructive. We're just afraid. Like, oh, if I just let God do, you know, anything He wants to in my life, well, where will He send me? What will He tell me to do? Does that matter to you? The reality is anything that He would require of you, anything that He would do in you, is to bring greater glory to His name, to bring salvation to people who are lost, to bring encouragement to those who are discouraged. And so we just need to just say, Holy Spirit, come and ask Him, fill us. I long for you. Some of us in this room, you know, you're just going through the motions and you know it. You're trying to study your way into the kingdom of God. But as I said at the beginning of this message, you can't study your way into the kingdom. You're born into the kingdom. That's what Jesus said in John 3. We need the Holy Spirit. And some of you have the Spirit, but the the flame is almost gone. Some of you have never had the Spirit. Today, I'm not even talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm just talking right now about the Holy Spirit just coming in power and might. All the other things will fall into place. We need to be seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name. So we got a few moments here. I'd like us to stand to our feet. And if you long for the Holy Spirit and you're welcoming Him into your life today, can we just come down? I don't know what happened to my mic right there. But let's just come down. And uh, let's just spend some time here at this altar. Lift your hands and just say, Holy Spirit, come. I welcome you. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit already, come and ask for a...